Thank you, choir. Please pray with me. Father, we hear so many voices in our world today, but there is one voice above all the other noise that we need to hear. It's not the voice of any human being, not of a preacher, not of anybody, Lord, except you. Let us hear your voice so that we may be who you want us to be, so that we may do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm told that at the core of the sun, it is 27 million degrees, and that the pressure at the core of the sun is 340 billion times greater than the pressure here. Now you put that kind of insane heat and that sort of extraordinary pressure together, and I'm told you get all kinds of nuclear reactions in which four protons are fused together to become one alpha particle, but in that process, 0.7 of a percent of the mass of the four protons is lost, which is transferred into energy, and it is through a process of convection that takes a million years, that heat and light makes its way to the surface of the sun. It's created through this process called convection. And I find all of that very fascinating, don't you? (laughs) But you didn't have to know that for me to tell you it has been really hot outside. (laughs) In fact, you didn't have to know that to appreciate the sunrise if you were up this morning and looked off to the east. You didn't have to know that to appreciate the sunset in the evening. You don't have to know how hot the sun is to know that the world can really be a hot place. And you don't have to understand the intricacies of all the analogies of the Trinity to worship the Trinity, to love the Trinity, to pray to the Trinity, to enter into what Tim Keller calls the perichoresis, the dance of the Trinity. You just have to love God. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? We've been talking about God. It's a great subject. About God's glorious grace. And in our discussion of God's glorious grace, we took a week to talk about the Father and what He has done for us. We took a week to talk about the Son and what He has done for us. And today we come last, but certainly not least, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our world. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Next week, I'm going to pick up with verse 15 again, and we're going to talk about how we can pray for people that we care about, our our non-Christian friends, our Christian friends. We pray for a lot of people. How should we pray? How should we pray for our country? There are good things, I think, in verses 15 through 23 that will help us with that. But this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, here's what it says after he talks to the the Jews and says, you were the first to hope in Christ. Then in verse 13, he says, and you also, Gentiles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is 
a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, listen to this, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Thank you. You may be seated. I love the story of the preacher who dreamed he was preaching a sermon and he woke up and he actually was. And I feel that way when we read the book of Ephesians because everybody I talked to about Ephesians chapter one, they say, oh, it's so controversial. It's so confusing. You got to be careful if you read Ephesians chapter one to people because it starts talking about about uh, election and predestination and adoption and redemption and sanctification. All that could be very confusing. Look, if we open our eyes, we discover we are not in Ephesians 1. We are not in the middle of a controversy. We are smack dab in the middle of a worship service. And the Apostle Paul, as he preached to the Ephesians as he shared his heart with them. It's as if somebody said to him, so what has God done for you lately? And 201 words later, he put a period. 201 words consecutively. He talks about the Father who chose us and then predestined us as his children to be adopted into his family. He talks about the the Son who redeemed us, that is, bought us back from the world at the high price of his own blood that Jesus was the one who released us from our sin. He reveals to us God's perfect will that not only the Jews, but also the Christians, not also the Gentiles can be brought into the family of Christ. You also, he says, were included. It feels good to be included. But he doesn't stop with Jesus. He tells us about the Holy Spirit. And we need to know about the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan says the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity that is for us the forgotten God. We don't know enough about the Holy Spirit. We could talk for days about what the Father has done for us. We, we could talk for days about what the Son has done for us. But when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, that's harder for us because we don't know the Holy Spirit as we should. And yet the Holy Spirit is the one who sealed us, he says, until redemption. The Holy Spirit is the down payment or the guarantee not only of our inheritance but that we will be God's inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the one who fulfills all of God's promises to us. Don't you think we ought to know more about the Holy Spirit? Listen to what, listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, if you had taken the Holy Spirit away from the church today, if you just took the Holy Spirit out of the church, we are so regimented, we've got our plan so figured out, he says, that 95% of what we do would go right on. And a lot of people wouldn't even notice if you took away the Holy Spirit. But he said in the early church, this church, the church at Ephesus, the church in the book of Acts, if you had removed the Holy Spirit, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped. And everybody would have noticed. You know why we need the Holy Spirit? Because it takes the spirit of holiness. That's literally the translation in Greek. The spirit of holiness. It takes the spirit of holiness to make us Holy, not holier than thou. The spirit of holiness doesn't make us holier than thou. But he does make us holy. And here's what I want you to see. 
You say, well, why do I want to be holy? Oh, here it is. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Without holiness, none of us will see God. See how important it is to be holy? See how important the work of the Holy Spirit is with us? Let me just show you. The Holy Spirit fulfills all of God's promises to us. In fact, literally in verse 13, when it talks about how you, listen to this, you heard the word of truth and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be clear which Lord Jesus Christ this is. It's the Lord Jesus of the New Testament. The Lord Jesus who died on the cross. The Lord Jesus who rose again. Not the Lord Jesus whom some say descended to America and preached to the Indians later. That's not the Lord Jesus whom he's talking about he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again and by believing in him he says you were you were redeemed and you were see, you were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit and this is what it says the spirit the promised one the holy one so before we talk about who he is, let's just remember this, that he was promised. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. We've seen this this summer. Some of our students have felt God calling them into ministry. One of, one of our sons is feeling God calling him into ministry. He was out in San Diego and he spoke out there and he, he sends me a text message and he says, dad, when do I get to preach? And I texted him back and I said, when you're ready to preach. And he texted back and he said, at Tallowood. I texted back and I said, yeah, we'll start at nursing homes and things like that. He texts back and he says, on a Sunday morning. I texted back and I said, you're overcooking my grits. Yeah, that, you know, and then he says, you know, dad, and then he texts me the Bible verse. He says, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, my heart's overflowing, my mouth needs to speak. I said, good verse. He texted back, Tallowood on a Sunday morning. You know, he just, well, when the Spirit of God calls you, and see, I have, no, I have no ground to stand on because my pastor, when I told him I was called to preach, and I remember I was on a, on a retreat, and God just spoke to me so clearly, and I went and told the pastor, I've been called to preach. And my pastor said, great. And he put me in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. And so, you know, I have no ground to stand on. But there's a great moment when you realize that it's through the Holy Spirit that God calls all of us. Remember I said the first week, we are called to Christ And when we're called to Christ and we love him, then God's going to do a lot of things through our lives. But first, we are called to him. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 14. The whole story of the dry bones, remember that? And then God says, and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. As if you and I, even though we eat, drink, sleep, we never live until the Spirit of God. Adam didn't live. I mean, even though he was formed and looked like a man, it wasn't until God breathed life into him that he lived. And it isn't until you and I receive the Spirit of God that we come to eternal life. We'll see in chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but the Spirit has brought you to life through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He promised his Holy Spirit to us. And you hear it when Jesus is teaching his disciples on that last night before he's crucified in John chapter 14 he says I will not leave you as orphans remember that in verse 18 first in John chapter 14 verse 18 I will not leave you as orphans but I will come to you I'll send you and if I don't leave he said I can't send the counselor the comforter and he's going to lead you into all truth he's going to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment and he's going to testify about me 
He's going to tell you about me. And so Jesus says to his disciples right before he ascends into the heavens, Acts chapter one tells us, you know, Matthew tells us that story and says they worship, but some of them doubted. After all Jesus has done, they're still standing there going, yeah, I'm going to wait and see. I don't know. You know, I mean, he may have risen from the dead, but I'm not yet sure about Jesus. Look, when we understand that God is the God who fulfills his promises, we don't camp out in doubt, but we move beyond that to faith and to trust in God. And so Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I, I'm commissioning you to be disciple makers. And then in Acts chapter one, it says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and under, in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That is, God promises his Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, he comes. And what Paul is telling the Ephesians is, if God kept his promise by sending his Holy Spirit don't you believe he's going to keep all of your all of his promises to you the spirit of promise is a promising spirit we need to know that because we live in a world that's sort of gloomy and doom oriented sometimes and we get sort of uh, wrapped around the axle and worried about things and we spend our time wringing our hands saying look what the world has come to and, and I'm not telling you everything in the world is right. I, there's a lot in this world that is not right. But hear me when I say the fact that God sent his Holy Spirit means he's going to keep all of his promises to us. Listen to Joshua chapter 21 verse 45. All of the Lord's good promises to you have never failed. God doesn't fail to keep his promise. If he sent his Holy Spirit, he's going to keep his promises. So when you're thinking about and you're watching the news and everything is gloom and doom and it's all living, can I just tell you something? I'm not waiting on Washington. I'm not waiting on Washington. My hope is in the Holy One. I'm trusting in God. And I'm not waiting on, on the world to change itself. And I don't know about you, I've lived long enough. I've seen both parties get elected. And I'm with, I'm, with, I'm with Tony Evans on this. When Jesus comes back, he's not riding a donkey or an elephant. Not either one. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to change the world. Did you read in your Bible that Jesus is going to transform the political system and is going to make the world a better place? That's not there. What it tells us is the world does sort of go from bad to worse, but I love uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins' his little poem. He says, the world, even on the darkest day, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like the shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod have trod and all is seared with trade and bleared and smeared with toil and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell and the soil is bare now nor can foot feel being shod the world's a tough place listen to what he says and for all this nature is never spent there lives the dearest freshness deep down things and though the last lights the sun's going to set in the west he says but oh morning at the brown brink eastward springs because why the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. This is our hope. The hope is that the Holy Spirit has come, and if God kept that promise, he'll keep all. What other promises has God made to us? He will never leave us nor forsake us. I am trusting in the one who is trustworthy. I'm putting my faith in the one who is faithful. If he kept his promise and he sent his Spirit then when he said that his son would come, we can trust that Jesus Christ will return powerfully, visibly, personally, victoriously. He will come and he will reign over all the earth. The Holy Spirit 
fulfills all of God's promises to us. The Holy Spirit, he goes on to say in verse 13, fixes our identity in Christ so that we are sealed. We are marked with a seal, just like that little seal that I showed the children shows my name and my library. And so when my staff members want a card to check books out of my trunk of my car, they can do that because it's already got my name written inside it. We know which book. If Larry finds one of my books on his shelf, he can open up and go, this isn't my book, you know, and he can return all the books that he's taken from me through the years, you know. I mean, it's just a very valuable thing to have a seal. Why? It show, he doesn't really. It shows us our ownership that God is our owner. We're so wrapped up in what we own, but the Spirit shows us who owns us. And sometimes we need to look up at God and remember that we belong to Him, that He has sealed us. The word is almost like the word brand, and brand is so important in marketing these days. They talk about how important your brand is, and you've got to have the right brand, and, and uh, what pe- your brand is what people think of you. Well, our brand is the Lord Jesus Christ. We loved our time out in West Texas this summer, and I was just amazed. You know, some of the guys out there, they ranch, not with a horse or with a truck, but with a plane. They've got a garage for their plane. They just pull up in their plane after they look around. Why? Because one of the, one of the ranches goes from Alpine um, to Fort Davis, 20-something miles, both sides of the road, as far as you can see. You know, you can't, you can't ranch that with a horse anymore, right? And, and I was just reading about that, and I thought about this family in New York that bought a big ranch. They were going to go into the cattle business, and so they moved out west, you know, and, and uh, they were trying to decide, and some friends came out to see him and said, so what's the name of your, your ranch? And, uh, and the man said, you know, I, I wanted to name it the Bar J, and my, my wife wanted to name it the Susie Q, and one of the kids wanted to name it the Flying W, you know, and the other one wanted to name it the Bar Y. And so we, we named it the Bar J, Susie Q, uh, Flying W, Bar Y. I said, really? So where are your cattle? I said, well, none of them survived the branding. You know, just the brand was so long, they didn't live through the experience. Well, the good news about God's brand in our lives is that it doesn't kill us. The Spirit of God brings us life. He brings us Life abundant and full. So we place our trust in him and know that this Holy Spirit seals it. It's like the the engagement ring that we give to somebody when we ask them to marry us and they wear that ring and it's the promise. Listen, the Bible says that we we are the body of Christ. We are the building of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Remember that movie back in 99, though, about the runaway bride? Sometimes I think that describes the church. I'm going to talk about this tonight. But when, when we make mistakes, we're sort of like Adam and Eve. We go running and hiding from God. Really, from the God who sent his only son? You're going to run and hide? Don't run from him. Run to him. Run to him. Don't be the runaway bride of Christ. Run, run to the groom. Run to Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you. He loves you. He couldn't love you more than he does. And he says, you are sealed. You, you're engaged to him. And the wedding is going to take place. It's inevitable. He is going to redeem that which is his own. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. And I want to say to you that in Ephesians 4 verse 30, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed until the day. You can't lose the Holy Spirit, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I remember a preacher up in Montana when I was in high school working at McDonald's. I, was, I shut it down one night, and I was a, a gourmet cook at McDonald's. And I was driving home in my father's great big Chrysler New Yorker. I was just kind of floating down the road, you know. It was about as wide as this room. And I was just driving down the road, and I heard this preacher say, I don't want to grieve the Lord. He's been too good to me. Isn't that what Paul's saying to the Ephesians? You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You don't want to grieve 
God, he's been so good to you. He has marked you as his very own. You belong to him. I told last Sunday night about a friend of mine who lost his wife two and a half years ago. He remembers the day, obviously, and he wrote a beautiful plaque. She was a Sunday school teacher here. She loved the Lord right here in front of us for years. And I told him this week about how I took Melanie and Casey out there and I read that, ep- I read that epitaph that he wrote 270 words to his wife and how I read it out loud to them because I wanted Casey to know the way husbands are supposed to love their wives. I wanted Melanie to know the way I want to love her. I told him that and he sent me a note this week and he said, I'm glad you read it to him. He said, sometimes I just want to shout to the world that my Anne was living proof that God sent his spirit to live in us. If you knew Ann Murphy, you know exactly what he was talking about. Living proof that God sent his spirit. And I was thinking, do people say that about us? Do our spouses, do our children, do our parents say that about us? That person is living proof because that's what God wants to do. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit so that you and I would be living proof that God lives in us, that he's not just up there, but he's in us and that Christ in you is the hope of glory, not just for you, but for the whole world. The hope is that the church will be the church filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll tell the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody who will listen to us and that way the world will be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our only hope. The only hope for our world is that the Spirit who fulfills all of God's promises and fixes our identity so that we become identified completely with Christ. So first and foremost, people know us as followers of Christ before they know anything else about us. They know that person is a follower of Christ. And here's the good news. He says this same Holy Spirit, verse 14, will finish God's work in us. You see what it says? He's the down payment. He's the deposit, I think the NIV says, Remember, do you remember, did anybody have the King James Version? The earnest. You know, earnest money like you put down when you're trying to buy something. Go out and try to buy a car this week, $20,000 car. And they say to you, you know, when you get back to that little room where they're figuring out your interest rate. And you say to them, they say, yeah, so you want to buy, how much money are you going to put down? You say five. They say 5000 No, $5. <laughs> really? What are they going to think? They're going to think, yeah, he didn't want to buy this car. He's not, she's not serious about buying this car. You know, go out and try to buy a $200,000 house and they say, how much you want to put down? I'll put down 10. 10 what, 10%? No, 10, $10. <laughs> yeah, you can't buy a house that way, right? Anybody tried lately? You can't buy a house that way. Not, not, for, not with a $10, why not? Because they're not going to think you're serious. That's why earnest money, that's why the word earnest means what it means. The earnest means I'm putting down this money, I'm putting down enough money so you know I'm earnest. I'm serious. Now, what does it mean that when God wanted to purchase us as his very own, he sent his whole Holy Spirit to live inside us? You think he's serious? I think he's serious. When God wanted to purchase us and guarantee so that every time we wondered, am I really a Christian? Do I really belong to him? Is he really going to redeem me? Am I really going to receive my inheritance? All you need to know is, yeah, he sent the Holy Spirit No, I'm not worried about whether or not God is serious. I'm just asking you, are you? I ask myself periodically, am I? Because he couldn't be more in. Look, when God sent his Holy Spirit, he was saying, I am all in. Literally, I am all in. 
And when you became a follower of Christ, is that what you were saying? God, I'm all in. Because I'm telling you, he is all in. He couldn't be more in than he is. He wants you to know him and to love him and to serve him. And if you got one foot in the world and one foot in serving him, and you're just sort of hesitating, how long will you halt between two opinions, Elijah asked. If the Lord is God, serve him. Now, if somebody else is God, well, then serve them. But I just got to tell you, they aren't. They just aren't all the things that we serve. So I'm, you know, the Tao is not going to deliver us. Can I just tell you, if it went to 50,000, the Tao is not going to deliver us. But Jesus did. He delivered us from our sins and the Holy Spirit living within us is our hope that we will receive our inheritance. You know, the old King James Version said, our mansion. You know, in my father's house are many mansions. Then we got new translations say, there are many rooms. And one lady told her pastor, she said, I don't want you to read from that. I'm not going to get a room. I'm getting a mansion. I've been waiting all these years for a mansion. I'm going to get, you might live in a room, preacher. I'm living in a mansion. Can I just ask you, what do you want from God? What do you really want from him? You want stuff? Imagine if your kids came to you. This would never happen. But let's say your kids came to you and gave you the impression that they didn't want you. They just wanted your stuff. How would that make you feel? You know, just like if you came home from a trip, say, and you said, I'm home. And they said, what'd you bring me? Your kids ever do that? Oh, they have, haven't they? Yeah, mine too. (laughs) No. If we come to God and say, you God, I just want stuff. Look, I heard about this, this man who was taken off in San Antonio. He was looking down at those beautiful mansions along the river there. He said, man, what would it be like to live in one of those beautiful mansions, 20,000 square feet and multi-car garage and all that stuff. You got all this stuff. And he said, the higher he got, the smaller those houses looked. And he finally had to pray to God and say, God, help me not to value the things that are diminutive to you and not to diminish the things that are valuable to you. And we've all got to have a house. I read this week, I heard, I was talking with a friend about a man who had 800 cars. Before he died, he had 800 cars. Now everybody gets to fight over his 800 cars. I was thinking, you know, you'd have to drive almost three years to drive every one of them if you drove one a day. I'm thinking, I'm thinking we don't need that. I'm just thinking, we don't need that. That it's not about our inheritance. But listen, this, this is really good news. He says that you are God's inheritance. He says, you, you are the saints. He uses that word nine times. By the way, the whole New Testament only uses the word Christian three times. In the, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul nine times calls them the saints. And he says, God's inheritance is in the saints. You, I know you're worried about what God's going to give you. Can I just tell you, God sees you as his inheritance and he is making you holy and it takes the spirit of holiness to make us holy so it may be that you look at yourself in the mirror, you look at your friends and you go, yeah, they don't seem very much like saints. One, one poet said to live above with the saints we love, that will be glory. <laughs> to live below with the saints we know, yeah, that's another story. It's hard to live with the saints, but he commends the church at Ephesus because he says your love is not for some of the saints. He says you love all the saints, and he's making us into saints. And I was down at this little restaurant there, you know, in, um, just down Benignus there called Two Saints the other day. And I asked the, the owner, I said, where'd you get the name Two Saints? And he said, well, actually, Benignus, that road is for St. Benignus, and there are actually two St. Benignuses. One was uh, St. Patrick's right-hand man over in Ireland, and the other one started some monasteries over there. So there are actually two St. Benignuses, so we called it Two Saints. And I was thinking, yeah, but I, I believe both of those Benignuses were saints, but I don't think they were the only ones. I think everybody who places their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ becomes 
a saint. You say, yeah, but we just don't act like saints. And I'll agree with you, but here's what I want to say to you about that. That word's not about the way we treat God. It's about the way he's treating us. He already sees us in terms of who we're going to be. His work is not going to be stopped. The work of the Holy Spirit is not going to stop until he makes us holy. And he's the only one who can. Francis Chan in his book Forgotten God tells about a day when he realized that his teenage daughter didn't love Jesus Christ. He said it was heartbreaking to him. He said he'd been preaching all these years. She'd been in his worship services. Can you resonate with this? He's invested so much. He's been taught by the best preschool teachers and children's teachers. And she doesn't love Jesus Christ. And he said, I just thought, well, I've got to do something about that. And he said, I realized I can't. I can't make my kid love Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. So he said, I wailed and I wept and I I bawled and I, I prayed and I cried and I called out to God and asked him to draw my daughter's heart to himself. And he said, after about 18 months, one day she came in and said, Dad, you were right. I didn't have the Holy Spirit, but now I do. And he said, we wanted evidence. <laughs> we weren't ready to believe her yet. And what is the evidence that a person has the Holy Spirit, that a person is becoming a saint? Well, Paul outlines it in Galatians 5, and 23. What does he say? You'll have the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, but the fruit, because they're all interrelated and interdependent. You, you can't have one without the other. You can't say, well, today I'm going to be loving, but I'm not going to be joyful. No, they all interrelate with each other, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and God wants to develop those things in our lives. And as he does, we are becoming saints And we are his inheritance. And we can't make anybody love God. But the good news is the Holy Spirit can produce that in a person's heart. And he's the only one who can. It takes the Holy Spirit to make us holy. You say, well, why do I want to be holy? Because Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, none of us is going to see God. And believe me when I say whatever you want. You want to see God. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us, melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. God, what can be done for an old heart like mine? My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done? For old hearts like ours, soften them up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash us anew in the wine of your blood. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.